good morning, good evening, good afternoon from wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Right on Track podcast. My name is Connor Jonas and we're here discussing all things Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends and the Railway Series. I'm joined by my good friend here today, Tom Parry. Hello there, Connor. It's very good to be with you and we're alone this week. Yes. Yes, I, 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 I'm afraid we don't have a special guest, nor do we have the fine-bearded, deep-speaking gentleman that is our third co-host, Tom Denham. No, that is quite right, Connor. Denham is currently busy this week, preparing for an entire week's worth of radio. He's producing every single program that goes to air, so I'm told. Uh, so we're going to leave him to prepare for that, and... We're just going to hang out, Connor and I, you know? Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to have fun. We're, we're, we're good friends, aren't we? I, I would like to think so. Yeah, yeah, like we, we... Hey, listen, better late than never. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. see, we got we got joint things there. Uh, we just won't mention the Fogman, and nor will I, because... <laughs> whew, I received messages from people for that. So this is episode 45 of the Right on Track podcast, and in this week's chapter, we will be talking about three more stories from series six of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, those being, Connor? Those being Jack Jumps In and A Friend in Need, where we're going to be introduced to ten new characters all at once. Ten? Yeah, ten. It's ridiculous, and there's plenty of reason behind that. Mm. And we're also going to be looking at It's Only Snow. So, jumping right into the first one, Jack jumps in. Let's learn about the titular character Jack, who he is, and where he's going today. Is this my special? Very special, she answered. I'm Jack, the front loader, he word proudly. I can load and unload and carry lots of things. I can haul and shunt, boasted Thomas. And I can get you two chatterboxes off to the quarry, laughed Miss Jenny. What you heard right there was just classic exposition. We, we've learned who Jack is, what he does, and where Thomas is taking him. Yeah, I- I- exactly. So, this is a very interesting episode Jack jumps in, in, in the Thomas arc. And so is the one following this. Um... Because they were very much the pilot episode for a potential spin-off. Called Jack and the Pack, I believe? Yes, Jack and the Pack uh, is the shortened name. The the full name is Jack and the Sodor Construction Company. Oh, that's a mouthful. What child is going to remember that? I I have no idea, but (laughs) Jack and the Pack definitely works a lot better. Uh, Jack jumps in in the following episode of Friend in Need... Were both, as I said, the pilot episodes, uh, and then the rest of the spin-off show uh, was filmed alongside the seventh series in two thousand three. However, since Hit Entertainment took over the Thomas brand in two thousand two, uh, the the rest of the pack series was cancelled. That there, there were planned twenty six episodes made for it. However, only 13 were made, uh, and the other 13 were left on the cutting room floor. Mm. Uh, there, there are multiple theories behind this. Uh, according to Abby Grant, it says that it proved far too expensive to continue. Um, however, a nice running theory 
is because Hit Entertainment also owned the rights to Bob the Builder when they took over having another construction company show with sentient vehicles and one syllable named character it might have been too dangerous for that branding to continue I don't know about dangerous because there are plenty of construction type programs all about and I reckon that Bob the Builder has its demographic. The kids who watch Bob the Builder are somewhat different to the ones who watch Thomas the Tank Engine. I, I'm just speaking from experience here. I mean, I was a kid who just watched any and all TV, but for me, Bob the Builder was just like a passing distraction. It wasn't something I was really looking forward to watching each and every week. Like, I mean, for me, I really enjoyed it. Both Thomas and Bob the Builder were my two main shows. Uh, and mm. I like I distinctly remember. I know this is a Thomas podcast, but I'm going to briefly talk about it. One of my favourite things is Bob the Builder: A Christmas to Remember. Is that the one with Elton John? Yes, who is the special guest Elton John? And at the in- end of it, everyone gets to sing together for the Christmas episode, Crocodile Rock. Yes, classic Christmas tune. And the thing is, it's because of that episode that Crocodile Rock became ingrained as my first. Like, favourite song ever. Oh, well, well done. Well done, Bob the Builder. But yes, this is a Thomas podcast. So, what what, what is Jack Jumps In all about, De- uh, Parry? <laughs> I was about to say Denim. <laughs> Denim's not here. <laughs> oh dear, slight stumble there. Uh, so, Jack Jumps In, as you stated, Connor, it's essentially an extended pilot for... Well, actually the first part of an extended pilot for Jack and the Pack... And it sees Jack the front loader on his first day at the job at a construction site. It's written by Phil Thurl, Jonathan Truman, and Abby Grant. Three people. I think that's a first for the program, Thomas the Tank Engine. Yes, yes. And it's directed by Steve Asquith, who was the second unit director all throughout the first Mm. five series of the show. And now, finally, he's been promoted to director. Yes, uh, for these... Uh, Jack and the Pack episodes that we'll say. Mm, yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. I would also say uh, Stephen, Steve Asquith, holds the record alongside uh, David Eves and Terence Perman for the longest working on the show with a total of 24 years. 24? Wow. That's more years than you've been alive, Connor. Yeah, yeah. That's more years than I've been alive. It, he was working from from 1984 all the way to 2008. Hmm. Of course, yeah, he got promoted to being the director of the show from Series 8 onwards. Yes, yes. Uh, along for the specials and uh, during Series 7, uh, he was a program consultant mm-hmm. and so on. So it's really interesting. And a brief note here about Stephen Asquith. And I, I think... This is the reason why they put him in charge of Jack and the Pack. Mm-hmm. Because Steve, Ath- uh, Steve Athsquith, along with previous other crew members, all worked together on Jim Henson's construction site. Ah, oh, yes, I remember that program. The, 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 the one, it had such a cool theme tune. And for those that don't know, it's essentially, what if vehicles were puppets? <laughs> and they worked on a construction site. It is a amazing uh, piece of cinematography throughout the whole thing. Mm. But it's interesting here 
on, on how, like, like it. On one hand, I, it could just be coincidence, but I feel having that specific. Yes, I worked on a, a kids' construction site show, <laughs> being moved of sentient vehicles. I'm being told, okay, you're doing the same thing again here. Mm. Like, I feel that's not. The, I, I've just realized the, this is the multiverse episode of the podcast because <laughs> we've discussed two separate shows at the moment and they all somehow relate to this. Well, three, technically. Yeah, three, three. No, four, technically. Hold on, because we've got Jack in the Pack, Thomas the Tank Engine, Bob the Builder and the construction site. Yes, because it was going to be a spin-off. <laughs> yes, um, and the point I wanted to make about that was it's... Uh, pretty solid debut but it's indistinguishable from david mitten's work steve doesn't try to like add his own tone or flavor to it like some more egotistical directors are prone to doing he just does the job and it it still just feels like thomas episodes it does it absolutely does there's nothing notably unique about his directing style it's just thomas that's exactly right what were we talking about again? Oh, that's right. The, the narrative of this yes. story. Yes. Yes. The narrative. The story. Yes. Okay. So. Sorry, I jumped in. Yeah, there. I, I think we all did. Actually. Oh. <laughs> I'm very slow today. <laughs> it's fine. Let's keep going. Okay. So once Jack gets to the construction site, uh, he heads around and asks all his fellow construction vehicles whether they want help and the first person he asks for help is Oliver yes now this isn't the Oliver we're already familiar with this is a completely new character who happens to share the same name as engine number 11 yes and that thing is never alluded to until way 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 down the line in Thomas and the Lost Treasure Mm mhm uh, where they also made like little merchandise packs, which I, I think was called the Oliver and Oliver yeah. pack, yeah. or the Oliver pack, just full stop, and had both number eleven Oliver and Oliver the excavator. But it's one of the few uh, notable times when there is a character that shares a name mm. actually in the entire show. But but it does happen a few times. We've got uh, two Berts, two Olivers, a fair few Toms. Yes. And whatnot, but it's interesting. But yes, he, he asks Oliver the Excavator. Mm. And I, I feel as we go through each of these one by one, I'm going to quickly talk about who they are. Okay, I, th- I think we need to. We really need to unpack all this. So, as I said, we've got 10 new characters here. Now, we've got Miss Jenny, who... She sounds Irish or Scottish. Does she? <laughs> oh, you'd make a mother proud. Oh, don't you know... It, it sounds a tad Irish to me. I did not detect that inflection in Michael Angelis's voice at all. I think you might be imagining things there. I've always heard her as Irish. Oh. Okay, anyways. Uh, all, right, all right, moving uh, on. <laughs> you, yes, yes, yes. We've got uh, Ms. Jenny Packard and her dog, and then the foreman. Uh, now, the foreman, as... I, I, I like this because it's a nice little bit of actual real-world construction company work, mm-hmm. is the person put in charge... Typically of the site, or in this scenario, the specific jobs being done mm-hmm. by each crew member. Yeah. So, start off with Jack, uh, who is a little red front loader. Uh, he's based off a Nuffield tractor with a front loader att- uh, attached. However, he was once going to have a backhoe attached to him. Okay. Jack runs off into Oliver the Excavator, who is a freelance design. 
how the, there are multiple similarities between him and uh, the Russian KV series of tanks, <laughs> particularly in particularly in in the turning arc and the caterpillar tracks themselves. If there were two words I was not expecting to hear together on the Rise on Track podcast, it were Russian and tank. Thomas the Tank engine. No, and tank together. Russia just mm. okay. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Um, then you've got Byron the bulldozer, mm-hmm. who also uh, goes. Do you need help? Uh, who's just based off of a late 1930s Caterpillar bulldozer. Okay. And then after speaking to Byron, Jack goes to Kelly the Crane. Yes, who is based of an Austin K6 lorry uh, built with a mobile crane, uh, which actually ser- helped serve uh, British troops during World War Two. Mm-hmm. And then next to Kelly the Crane is, I think, a pallet swap Elizabeth. Yes. So... Uh, it was last episode, not last, well, yeah, last podcast episode and two episodes back in the show. Mm-hmm. We were introduced to Elizabeth, the old vintage lorry. Mm-hmm. Vintage? The vintage sentinel lorry. Yes, we were introduced to Elizabeth, the vintage sentinel lorry. And this is an exactly same basis. It's Isabella, mm-hmm. a sentinel DG4 steam lorry, same as Elizabeth. Except in yellow and instead of a sort of walled off lorry, it's just a flatbed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's it. She seems to have much the same character as well. Yes. But then after talking to Isabel. She directs Jack to the foreman. Yes. Uh, saying, hey, here's what the job is. You go and talk to Alfie. I love Alfie. Hmm. Elfie is adorable. He is a little green excavator. Mm-hmm. He, again, appears to be a freelance design, but he does have plenty of similarities with the 1960 K1, C10, and K excavator. Who? Mm-hmm. And my favourite thing is the way that Michael Angelus talks about work and dirt. Because his voice cracks so many times in it. It's, more help means more dirt. More dirt means more fun. I'm Elfie. Bum, 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 bum. It's the weirdest delivery, and I love it. But what I adore most about Elfie is he introduces himself after that. He talks about dirt and fun and goes, yeah, I'm Elfie, by the way. But then, of course, as Jack is working with Alfie, uh, someone rudely introduces themselves. Aha, yes. He's called Max, he's trouble, and he's a dump truck, essentially, right? Yes, he is a 1944 Scammell Mountaineer four-wheel dump truck. And Max uh, also has got a twin, a brother. Mm-hmm. Called Monty, and and he doesn't make much of an appearance in this episode. In fact, he doesn't appear at all from memory. Yeah. However, well, like he appears visually as Max. Not well. Okay. Well, well, li- listen. There, there was some like contracting issues and scheduling for when they were both to appear on the set. <laughs> so you know, when Max couldn't make it, Monty just pretended to be Max. <laughs> You've got such a vivid imagination, Connor. I, I thank you, thank you. <laughs> Look, a pink elephant. But the 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 main thing here 
is that the, well, Monty doesn't make an appearance. He's more in the spin-off series, which wasn't actually released in episodes. It was released only as like a DVD thing in 2006. Mm. But yes, really introduced to Max, who spins about, gets very close, very dangerous, very fast, and very loudly. Says, Don't you know how to take a joke? Mm. He, he is such a classic bully character. Yes. But Jack Calvert wants to be a hero, and and he goes, you know, hey, stop bullying. And there we are, Max is good. <laughs> yep. That's it. That's enough to convince him to go away. If only real life were like that. Oh, if only. If only. Stop talking about the Fogman. <laughs> then, later in the day, the Foreman orders Oliver, the aforementioned Russian tank excavator, uh, to go move some rocks. But Jack jumps in. Aha. Which is the title. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I think we all got it. What, 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 what this episode very much seems to be is it is a very exposition-filled episode. Mm-hmm. And then about halfway through writing, they went, we actually need some drama here. Yeah, yes, we need conflict of some sort. Because mm. they just had Jack going around talking to people. Mm. And they all said no. And then they went, okay, how about we have like a bully it's a dump truck. Loud, fast. They're a bully. Stop bullying. Welp. Um, now what do we do? Okay. Jack, he tries to pick up some rocks. <laughs> and despite him being front heavy, he's now going to fall off to his side. Mm. And that's what happens. Well, well, what actually happens is he goes up a steep incline and he's not balanced correctly. And so when he gets to the top of the hill... And he leans to the side, and then the weight is enough for him to topple over and sort of slide down a hill. Yeah. But I was laughing just before, because when you said we need more story, I just had this image of the episode ending when Alfie says, Thank you, Jack. And it's like, there we are. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, it is a reintro. It's interesting uh, in that. So... Our talking, you may be able to tell, is a little bit all over the place about this episode. I feel that's reflective of the episode itself. Well, it introduces so much. It throws so much at it, so we've got so much to talk about. Yeah, in such a short amount of time. So, Jack has fallen over. He's then put back Elf uh, upright. He's unhurt, but, you know, he's a little bit annoyed that... You've got Miss Jenny's safety rule that no one should jump in when they're not required. Mm-hmm. Don't rush in where you don't belong. See, that sounds a little Irish to me, man. Yeah, I, I was trying to put on the Irish voice just just for you, Connor. Just Aww, for you. Aw, thank I'm feeling the love. Aww. I'm feeling the love. Um, And then what occurs is one of the best bits of writing I feel in Thomas, where Miss Jenny goes, perhaps you're not ready to join the pack. And... It isn't necessarily the delivery of the line, but the fact that they're able to go in a kid's show. This character, they may not be good enough. Mm, Well, I saw it more as they don't quite have the maturity to belong in this environment. And, like, I mean, especially a construction site where safety is a major concern. Mm -hmm. Like, when I've got my own hard hat, whenever I'm walking down the street and they've got, like, some kind of scaffolding there that you need to walk under because they've taken up most of the footpath, I, I've got my own hard hat with me, man. <laughs> the main thing is, is that 
the idea that they were able to go, listen, here is a fun, excitable, lovable character, much like Thomas or Percy, and then we're going to say that maybe they're not good enough. And, and, and this, when I first watched it, you know, was like, no, don't do that to Jack. But looking back, it's like, that's actually really good, I feel. But of course, Jack's feeling sad. I was feeling sad when I watched it when I was younger. So that Alfie and Isabella and Thomas all assure Jack that he's a good worker, a good friend. Hang, hang on, wait, wait, wait. What, what, what's Thomas doing there? He, he's there to pick up Jack. Oh, yeah, that would make sense now. But, you know, it, it, you get what I'm saying, right? I mean, so suddenly Thomas is there. Why, why does he need to be there at that point in time while Jenny's scolding him? So this is the major issue that occurred with a lot of these episodes of Jack in the Pack. However, I feel that's also due to production. Mm. When watching the episode, I'm not so sure if you noticed this, Parry. Thomas looks a bit different. Yes, I wanted to raise this point. Thank you, Connor, for bringing it up. But when I was much younger, I wondered why on earth does Thomas look different to like the appearance we're accustomed to in the other episodes of the show. His smiles looks weirder. Like I me. Mean, yes, his his face looks disfigured. It, it doesn't look like his natural face. When he's talking to Mister at the start, it's like terrifying yes that smile should not be possible <laughs> unless you've had plastic surgery yes yes but he he does look very different and the reason behind that is that he is a completely new scratch built model for this episode and the other projects yes indeed so this version of thomas is slightly larger than the one that is usually used yes and that's because jack alfie and the rest of the pack are actually Thomas-sized, if you get what I'm saying. They're in the regular Thomas scale that we all know, and because of that, they've had to increase the size of the railway engines like Thomas. Well, actually, I believe they're even a bit bigger. Ooh, are they now? I think so, because I believe what's called pack-scale Thomas Mm -hmm. is about a three and a half gauge, Mm -hmm. I believe. Instead of usual gauge one and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But if you look at all the wooden figurines in the background, yeah. they all are much more detailed than everything else we're accustomed to at this point. Aha. Uh-huh. Like, they actually seem to have, like, more poses and actual faces that you could perhaps see in a close-up. They're not, like, the close-up models, but they're very close. So either someone got very bored one day backstage and just decided to paint all of them in extreme detail, which very much could be. But the detail overall in these models, especially on the construction ones, are amazing. Like, I mean, Jack, on the very front of him, he's got the little handle that's used to help jump start the motor. Uh, Yes, yes, that's a nice touch. I love that. It's a nice touch. And when he falls over, that part, it's free spinning. When he falls over, it tilts over to the side. When he's on the ground, it's pointing towards the ground. It is actually a movable piece. Oh, that's brilliant. And not only that, but unlike the usual Thomas models that will have sort of an automated steam pump thing that puffs out every time they move, some eyes that move about, and they go forwards and backwards, these things... They go forwards, backwards. They turn. Not only do their eyes move, 
but their arms move. Every functional part of them as a construction machine does work. And it is amazing that level of detail that they've gone to for it. Mm, It absolutely is. I must say, though, it's a pity they couldn't have done more of the environment. I mean, it's a pretty drab quarry slash construction site they're working on. Yes, supposedly the job is that they're working in a quarry to make. I could go with it, but yeah, it is drab. It, like, especially with Callie, Callie's crane almost blends into the background. <laughs> there are parts with it that I feel definitely can improve upon. And like the, the, the Thomas scale models. So yes, hang on, go off topic there. Mm-hmm. We were talking about why is Thomas in this scene? Yes, yes. And the reason why is because they wanted greater detail uh, for the pack vehicles and they need a larger Thomas model, they also made a larger Percy model. So in all episodes that have Jack and the pack in them, they were limited to a very small rail-based cast. Uh-huh. Uh... Well, well, unless you've got any more to add to that, Connor, I think it's about time we got on to our rankings. Yeah, yeah. So, story-wise, it is all over the place. There are some nice lines and nice sets, mm-hmm. especially the Soto Construction Company Yard, mm-hmm. the Packard and Co. Mm-hmm. And although Thomas's model is terrifying, <laughs> the model of all the pack vehicles is really nice and soothing to look at and how they move. They've had a difficult job in this story as they all have about 10 new characters to introduce Mm -hmm. and they've managed it. They haven't necessarily introduced them, but we definitely know of their existence and sort of their personality. Mm. You know, we get Isabella going, mind my paint, and then Kelly scolding Isabella. We start to learn how these characters interact. <sighs> I'm torn, because it's had a very difficult job, but I feel it didn't need to introduce all the characters by name, and it didn't need to have all the interaction. The interaction certainly does help, but I feel that... Perhaps if you cut the scene of Jack running about chatting to everyone down a bit, you could have left a bit more room for perhaps the Jack and Max story or Jack being careless and not listening to the foreman. Mm-hmm. There are just some parts that I feel could have been built upon a lot more. So in terms of ranking, I'm going to give it a six. A six. Okay. Well, having discussed this story at length i feel like i respect it and admire it a lot more than what i did before we came into this discussion okay because i feel that jack jumps in as something which doesn't work well as a thomas story but it works very well in fact exceptionally well as a pilot for a completely different program i mean Mm. we get to meet all these great new characters the models look amazing Mm. it does a brilliant job of introducing so many characters at once. Um, I think we really do connect with Jack. I mean, we sympathize with him. We, again, we admire him. So all things considered, I would give this story a 6.5 out of 10. 
Okay. You're starting to lean into using the point fives, aren't you? Yes, I'm doing that a lot more. I mean, when I started, I said, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to give it full digits. But no, I'm handing out more and halves. At least we're not doing scores like 6.785. Like like, like our co-host. Who's not here to defend himself. (laughs) He's not here to defend himself. But he he does give like two or three decimal scores. So so it's confusing. Mm. Oh, Speaking of our good friend Daniel as well, he has actually sent me some cheeky notes oh. and he has told me that he would give Jack Jumps in a 9 out of 10. Oh, wow. Okay. I can see why Dan would be fun to this story. And for, for anyone, it's got lots of cool new characters. It's got some mm-hmm. really amazing model work. However, I do feel that the writing really is lacking okay. along with the set in a fair few places. But it is good. And like, I mean... The custom music that's composed just for Jack and the Pack. I do love Jack's jaunty little theme, you know. And then you've got sort of the intro, which is the... Yes. It's beautiful. And thankfully, we get to hear a bit more of that music as we jump into the next episode, which is A Friend in Need. That it is, Connor. And in the clip we're about to play here, Jack is hard at work and it looks like he's going to repeat the same mistake as he did just the day before. Back at the site, the foreman shouted, Oliver, this topsoil needs moving now. I'll move it, cried Jack. Jack! Before anyone could stop him, Jack raced under the bridge. He was about to fill his bucket when he remembered Miss Jenny's warning. Don't jump in where you don't belong. Oliver, he said, this is your job, not mine. Thank you, Oliver said politely. Well done, Jack, called Kelly. Yes, well done, chimed Alfie and Isabella. Jack beamed proudly. Jack, in one episode, has already had a character arc. He has. Yeah, we've seen Jack you know, grow as a character. Yeah, he's learned not to jump in, Mm. which is brilliant. So a a friend in need, I I feel in terms of a title, it's it's a little bit like a... It's like a sly wink, nudge, nudge. I feel the title could be more creative. But essentially, Jack is still on trial to join the pack. Mm Mm-hmm. And this time, they're still technically working at the quarry. Technically, yes. Except now they're at the quarry bridge. It looks nothing the same, but they're there. Don't worry. (laughs) And it's here that we're also introduced to another pack character. We we did see him in the last episode, but he didn't get a speaking role, so didn't touch with him. Mm -hmm. And he is the slow, lovable bumble bucket that is Ned. Now, I have a soft spot for Ned. He is an eerie type B steam shovel mixed in with some parts of a few type O steam shovel. And in terms of character design, he is a box on caterpillar tracks. He very much is, yes. But like, I, I just love steam shovels themselves in terms of design and the way that they work. I, I, I very much feel that you could always get a steam shovel and maybe put net on rails and see what happens. 
I think you might be foreshadowing a character who will be introduced to in a few seasons' time, Master Jonas. In a few seasons. We'll get there. We'll get mm, there. When we're old and grey. <laughs> but yes, that that's Oliver. Uh, no. It's Ned, actually. <laughs> that's Ned. See, this is the issue. We've been introduced to ten new characters at once, so it's strange. But yes. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, just let's go back a little bit. Imagine if they did this very early on when Britt Allcroft and company created Thomas the Tank Engine Friends. They just... Threw all the characters out there and said, "Oh, this is Thomas and Edward and Henry and Gordon and James and Percy and Toby." It's like, "Oh no, settle down." There's too many. There's a reason why the first story is Thomas and Gordon. Yeah, it provides a protagonist and an antagonist and keeps it simple. Uh, like, I mean, having a story we introduced, say, eight new vehicle characters, plus have a new human characters mm. at once, it, it it's excruciating. It would be very much jumping into the show in series two with no other episodes before that. Mm. However, there is a reason behind that. And that's because unlike the story of Thomas, where the railway starts quite small and then it grows throughout the progression of the show, the Soda Construction Mm -hmm. Company and the pack have been around for a long time. That's one reason why all the characters have got varying numbers. You've got Elfie, who's number 12. And Jack, who's number 11. Yeah, you've got Jack, who's number 11. So, so hang on, why, why is Elfie 12 and Jack 11 then? So, the reason why is because as the pack has changed over the years and grown, I'm talking about in law here, mm. some characters have come, some characters have gone. So... Like, in terms of numbering, I feel it's just that that was the number that Jack had. Or maybe they were like, oh, okay, he's going to be the 11th replacement we got, or the 11th front loader. There's multiple reasons why he would be numbered 11. But the idea was to have the pack not be a growing thing. This would be the pack. Mm. These are all the characters that we need to worry about. There may be Trevor at some point. He's been mentioned in the cancelled episodes for the Soda Construction Company, mm-hmm. but this was the pack. This is why they were about, and it wasn't about Thomas joining the island and it's small. It's about someone new and young joining a pre-established dynamic and seeing how they fit in with it. Aha. Uh-huh. But yes, Jack... He's learnt his lesson, not to do other people's jobs. And Oliver says a deep voice, thank you. I love all the characters, they're amazing. Mm. Just after this scene, chaos occurs. Because the bumble bucket... (laughs) Hang on, why is he called a bumble bucket, Connor? Oh, uh, that is what Max calls him. Mm. And the main reason why is because he's got a bucket on his arm. He's a steam shovel. Yes. But where does the bumble bit come from? He's very clumsy. But I'm sure it's not going to be something too detrimental like taking down an entire bridge. So in the next scene, Ned takes down the entire bridge. (laughs) As he's muttering to himself, I must be careful, must be careful, he doesn't lower his arm down low enough. Mm -hmm. And he knocks out the keystone in the bridge. Mm. So, slight architectural note here. A keystone is the very top part of an arch in a bridge Mm -hmm. or a tunnel. And it is the part that keeps all the other bricks and stones to the side of it in place. Mm -hmm. 
it is integral. It is key, that stone, that the stone is key stone to the bridge. Yes. And here, Ned takes it out. Well, he takes both of them out. He takes the keystone out at one end and then he takes it out again as the other as he's coming out the other side. Yeah, it isn't a good thing. But what I do like about this scene is that the bridge itself is lots of individual pieces. Mm. We, we see Ned knock part of it out and it falls into his bucket, which is humorous. But then we see the bridge isn't just cracking and the screen shaking. No, there is brick dust pouring out of the bridge. Mm. Individual parts of it are cracking and fracturing. This is looking like a real issue here. And all of a sudden, Jack hears a friendly whistle. <whistles> Thomas! <laughs> and and unlike, okay, the lesson he just learned, which was not to jump in, mm-hmm. he jumps in here. And he pushes with all his might, his front bucket up against the bridge. There's a red flag waving Thomas down. He applies the brake. Yeah, um, it's, it's the... Um... It's the safety inspector. What, what's the name of him again? I can't remember. Well, there's foremans, there, there's safety contractors, there's workmen. There are multiple people who construct. It's safety inspector, isn't it, right? The term he's given? I'll check that. Yes, okay. <laughs> so while, while Connor's checking that, um, I'll get on with the rest of the summary. So, Thomas is waved down and his driver applies the brakes, but Thomas manages to well he doesn't manage to he accidentally slips onto the bridge and as he fears for his life jack's pushing him up with all his might thomas is yelling cinders and ashes and eventually uh thomas backs off the bridge and he's safe again but jack's still holding the bridge up and now he's got all this weight on him and it's at that point where the entire bridge just collapses spectacularly yes and it's immediately after that that jack is brought back to jenny packard's yard and he's looking quite miserable and he's expecting a scolding and jenny says you did the right thing jack you actually averted a very nasty accident and for that reason, you can stay. You're officially part of the pack now. Yes, and, and Jack's arm, they are buckled. They are bent here. They are, like, properly damaged. Yeah. Again, I love these details, because not only is it bent, but you can see that, like, the paint has peeled where the metal has bent mm. in it. It's amazingly detailed. By the way, we were all incorrect. The man with the red suit and the red uh, helmet waving a red flag to try and get Thomas to slow down... He's not a safety inspector. Mm. He's not a foreman. Mm. He's a flag man. No, but but he's the same character who like told Jack to just. No, no Thomas saw the flag man. Uh, hold, yes, but he's oh. Okay, <laughs> we'll come back to this. All right, but in the meantime, uh, I think this particular story is much stronger than the last one. A friend in need is is better than Jack jumps in. It is. From the very start, you can tell it was leading up to this accident. And having the bridge... And th- there's one brilliant shot there where you see Thomas wavering up and down on the bridge, the bridge mm. falling apart and Jack holding it up. It's a nice wide shot there. Yes. Yes, it is. It is tons better. The set looks a lot better. And I feel that this episode could almost be 
the start of Jack. You think so? Just throw him right in there? Well, not throw him right in there. With a rewrite where you use the start of Jack jumps in and throw it into the front of a friend in need, I feel that would work much better because the pacing works a lot more and it is all leading up to it. And you can have the same lesson of make sure you don't jump in and all the characters yelling at Jack, don't jump in. And then Jack does it. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Thank goodness it's going to do that. And then you've got a much better accident. And you see a lot more of the crew working together. You see, you know, things being lifted and moved, stones being dropped. And yeah, this episode, as I say, is tons better. There is uh, something interesting about this, though, unrelated to the rest of the episode, but it's a very interesting moment in Thomas. This is the first time we see a human figurine move without the use of camera cuts. Is that so? It's a little detailed. It's, you know, me taking your title as Captain Pedantic. (laughs) Captain Pedantry, thank you. Uh, Stop being so pedantic about it. <laughs> but of of course, throughout the show, whenever we've seen people need to wave a flag or call someone or apply the brakes, we see their arm in one position and then we see it in the next position. Mm. It's like a two-frame bit of stop motion. However, this time, when Thomas's driver is applying the brakes, we see... The arm actually moved down in one clear movement with the brake or the regulator actually moving as well. It's the smallest detail, but I love it because it's a amazing time because that kind of stuff could have been done from the start. Yeah, that was something they definitely could have used more of in the earlier seasons. I remember when we were talking about Birdie's chase in the second series and how it was mostly just still images of characters. Mm. And they... and this is the movement that could have been done. Mm. It's good that they're finally learning their lesson, for want of a better phrase. <laughs> and much like Jack, who learnt his lesson not to jump in, but sometimes maybe it's, it's, it's good to jump in because there's danger and there's a friend in need, Jack is learned to stay in the pack, as you say. I will say the ending scene, not necessarily Thomas driving home and going, yes, welcome to the pack, Jack, to no one in particular. Not that weird shot there, but the scene, which much like back at Tidmouth Sheds, when Donald and Douglas stayed, all the engines, they blow their horns and their whistles and they honk and they toot welcoming. Yes, that would have been a much better, more fitting ending, I reckon. Mm. But Jack, he can do nothing but lift up and down his bucket. <laughs> I love that little bit of humorous. I feel end it there and ignore that. Yes. So, it's better than Jack jumps in. Yes. I really like this episode. Again, I feel it definitely could be better. Mm-hmm. Like, please fix Thomas's face. It's terrifying. I finally realise all people that don't like watching Thomas and Friends, the classic series, mm-hmm. how they feel now when they see Thomas. <laughs> when they see an engine and go, why is its eyes moving and its face not? Because that's what they're looking at. I, I have this feeling of great pity and sorrow for them now. And I apologise every time I made fun of you for it, but Thomas is still fun. You should watch it. Ranking wise, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to give it an eight. You know what, Connor? 
I agree with you. It's an eight. I think that they tell a much better and a much tighter narrative. The destruction of the bridge in particular is amazing. Mm. And... Like, that crash scene, if every crash in Thomas had that level of detail of moving parts, never have a problem. It's one of the best crashes they've ever shown. So it's an eight. Now... Are you receiving another transmission from our missing co-host? Yes, here it comes down. Okay, so, (laughs) uh, Denim, for a friend in need, he also gives it an eight. Oh! So, it's unanimous, it's a duck. We've got a duck once more. Yes. (laughs) uh, Actually, I was thinking about this the other day. So, all three of us have ranked eight. Mm -hmm. We really have given episodes all the same score. It seems the most often score that we give, where we all agree on it, is an eight. That's correct, yes. Because we've all said eight an absurd number of times. So, what we may have figured out is that any episode that scores a Montague, a duck, could be very much just classed as, like, a top-tier episode. It's not a ten, but it's one that we can all agree on. Is it's it's a solid episode, mm. and uh, we should tell all our listeners as well. On our Right on Track website, we do actually have a link where you can see all the scores we've given to previous stories on Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. Uh, we've still got a few stories to update yet, but it's a good way of seeing what we've scored previous episodes and a good indication of what we look for in a Thomas story. Yeah, yeah, and like. One thing, like, uh, apologies, we are a little bit behind on keeping up to date because we only had the idea of tracking all of this until we were about three or four series in. Yes. <laughs> which means that we had a good 30 or so episodes to dig through already. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's a slow process, but we'll gradually update all of them for you. Yes, we will. And then you'll be able to see what episodes have Right on Track ranked as the best and the worst. Yes, indeed. Now, I have a joke for you. Okay. <clears throat> Is it funny? Yeah, well, it's not a joke. It's, it's, it's a poem. All right. It's not, it's not a dirty poem, is it? No, 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 it's not. Well, it may okay. be a little bit dirty. It's, it's got dirt in it. <laughs> for you see, Jack digs, Elfie digs. Mm-hmm. Byron digs, Oliver digs. Mm-hmm. You dig, I dig, he digs, she digs, we dig. This may not be a very good poem, but but you see, it's very deep. Aww. In fact, we've dug so far down now that we're down under the earth, and Aww. we're going to be vibing to the next song, which is Jesse Ortiz's cover of Down Under in a wonderful Thomas format. You're listening to the Right on Track podcast. <laughs>
That was Down Under, as originally performed by Men at Work and covered by Jesse Oritz in the style of the Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends soundtrack. It's such a vibe. I love it. I love the song Down Under. But, like, I mean, when anything's put in the Thomas style, I feel it immediately becomes ten times more of a bop. Oh, no, oh, oh, that's a bit contentious. Like, I have a huge soft spot for the original song, but no, I, I do share your sentiments. I think it's the chuff chuff music that goes into it. You Thomasify anything, and you know it just becomes sweeter. Maybe not ten times sweeter, but ever so slightly so. Yes, yes. This is, of course, the Right on Track podcast where we talk about all things Thomas the Tank Engine and friends. So far today, we've covered. Jack Jumps In and A Friend In Need. And our final story that we're going to cover today is It's Only Snow. Now, I'm afraid I'm going to need to pause you there for a second, Parry. Because during that musical interlude, we don't just do it for you guys to listen to the wonderful music made by the Thomas community. We also do it so we have a short break. We found out the proper name of the man. Yes, so before we were referring to an orange-clad man who waved down Thomas, we thought he might have been a safety inspector or a foreman or uh, a flagman, he, the, the name of the character is a Banksman. A Banksman. I don't know how I forgot that. I don't know why it didn't come to my head. But yes, the Banksman is essentially, well, a, a safety inspector on a construction site. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're a worker on a building site who supervises the use of vehicles and heavy machinery. Anyway, getting back to the podcast now, it's only snow. Connor, what can we hear in this clip? Well, it's wintertime on the island, and it turns out that Thomas is to pick up a special from Callan Station. However, he's got a few issues with that. The next morning, the fat controller arrived. He told the engines they were to have snow ploughs fitted. And you are to collect something special from Callan Station. It's needed for the village feast on Toby's branch line. Thomas was excited about his special, but not about his snowplow. Please, sir, my plow is awkward and uncomfortable. Do I have to wear it? Everyone has to wear a snowplow, said the fat controller. I love this. I, I love this little <laughs> clip here. It alludes way back to the first series of the show in which Thomas had to wear a snowplow and he absolutely detested it. Yes. And... Of course, we're seeing the same conflict here, but it's a different snowplow to the one we're used to seeing because, of course, in earlier seasons, it was a blue one with little gaping holes in it. But in this one, it's just a big metal thing, a, a pyramid of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's old. It's metal. It definitely resembles a lot more modern shaped snowplows mm. in terms of its sort of curved point. However, it's rusted it's broken it's been battered they this obviously mean a massive hole of rust in it that they've gone they've just whacked another piece of metal to cover (laughs) Uh, it's it's amazing and as thomas describes it it's a big horrid awkward thing it's only snow i really enjoyed this episode as i said it's christmas time on the island it's winter all the engines are talking about how there's snow on the way wearing the snow plows and Thomas is to pick up a special. That special is a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is, as he's going off to deliver the tree, he teams up with Toby, who's going to be following close behind him, because Toby can't clear the snow himself, mm-hmm. and then accidents occur. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into the accidents just yet, but 
What I love about this story, when I first watched it, I thought that it was from season one. Did you now? It's a strange thing because, like, of course, in retrospect, the sets don't look the same. The lighting's off. The snow isn't as good as it used to be back in series one. But the teaming up of Thomas and Toby going through the snow together always made me confuse this with Mrs. Kindly's Christmas party. Aha. Uh-huh. I see. Especially with the note of them going through the countryside and Thomas disliking the snowplow. There are so many similarities here to series one, mm. but it is still a completely unique story. With quite a unique accident as well. A very unique accident. So what happens is that Thomas, as he's plowing through the snow... He hits a large rock, and the rock dislodges his snowplow from his front end in such a way that it hangs out to the side, you know, like a dog leaning out the window of a car. And then the snowplow comes into contact with a water tank, and, yeah, it it, it, it crashes, falls to the ground, disintegrates, all the rest of it. What are we to do? And it causes a problem because the snowplow is... Gone. Mm-hmm. Thomas and Toby are stuck on the line. They can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. However, they agree, forget the rules and regulations. We're going to push through the snow ourselves. Yes. Now, this point always, even as a child, it always confused me because we remember in the very first series of the show, Thomas had a major accident with a snowplow and he couldn't get out. And now he's traveling along the line without a snowplow and he just makes light work of all the snow that's in his path. So why does he need a snowplow? Visually, it's light work. However, to Thomas, it isn't. Uh, Like, you can tell from his expression, he's exerting himself. I'm fairly sure Toby also helps push as well at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't seem very phased by it. He still has the same face as he's up to his nose in snow. Mm. It's definitely weird. And, and like, hey, maybe a little bit of extra remote control work to make it look like Thomas is struggling. But story-wise, I think this is actually a really nice progression. Because Thomas, he still doesn't like his snowplow. Mm. He does know the use of it, but he doesn't like it. And I, I like that thing with a character. Because although they may have learned to lesson it, it doesn't mean they have to agree with it. Okay, I think that's strange logic. But okay, we'll, we'll just roll with it. Okay, let me give an example for you. Okay. Going for a walk every day is good for you. Mm-hmm. Eating your vegetables are good for you. Mm-hmm. Brushing your teeth every day is good for you. You should definitely do all these things. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you have to enjoy them. Right. That's what I'm referring to here. Okay. But Thomas and Toby, they get to the town delivering the snowplow and... All the villagers are happy that it is you, there. you mean the Christmas tree? The Christmas tree. They don't tree. deliver the snowplow. Not the snowplow. Well, the, I'm assuming the snowplow w- was thrown in a cab or brake fan at some point. So <laughs> I think they just left it by the side of the track, Connor, is what they did. Uh, you, you, you never know. It's They need to get insurance <laughs> on it, man. It, it, it hit a rock, which actually... Hang on. How was that rock there? Well, it was buried underneath the snow. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But before the snow was there, the rock was there. Oh, no, oh, I see where you're coming from now. Who put the rock there? Yeah. Because, like, I mean, 
that rock itself, it's large enough to dislodge and shake an engine, removing, forcibly removing, the giant metal snowplow attached to them. Mm. And, like, I mean, watching the clip, and brilliant, brilliant thing. It's all one shot. You see Thomas going along, you see the snow, it hits it, and all of a sudden the rock is flung to the side and the snowplow's sticking out at a weird angle. Mm. It's a brilliant shot. But how did that rock get there? Yes. We can see that it is near a small hillock. Mm-hmm. And you could maybe say it's like a boulder or something that rolled down, but like the shape of it is... It always looks to me like a piece of a fish tank rock. Mm. The type of rock you'd put in a fish tank for your fish to swim around. That's what the rock looks like. Mm. How did it get there, Parry? Well, I can only speculate, Connor, and I don't think we have time to do that. So let's move on. Damn it. Uh, (laughs) Well, okay, the, the other bit I'd like to raise is the very end of the story, where the Fat Controller goes to congratulate Thomas on a job well done, and then... The Fat Controller says, As you know, there are no spare snowplows, so you'll just have to do without yours for a while. And then Thomas says, Oh, thank you so much. It's just like, how's that a resolution to the conflict? Yeah, so so the snowplow... There are two stories sort of happening here that have been intertwined. You've got Thomas not liking his snowplow, and then you've got the uh, story of the Christmas tree in the villages. And this story, the snowplow part of it, and the end scene of the episode here, it goes against what Series 1 taught us. Yes, it does. It, it's just, it's hypocritical, it's illogical, it's all of the things. Yeah, it, it's, you should not be teaching people, hey, listen, it's dangerous to go without your snowplow. So, go ahead and do it. <laughs> like, like I, I feel a proper resolution shouldn't be, a, you know, there are no more spare snowplows, so you'll just have to do it without yours for a while. It'll be, you know... Uh, hey, Thomas, I'm proud of you. I'm afraid we've got no more spare snowplows, so you're going to work in the yard for a while. Or it may be, hey, we're going to send you down to the beach mm, well- <laughs> to work. Something where there is less of a need for a snowplow to be there. Hmm. So... It isn't going to be, so you'll just have to do without yours for a while. Because that that breaks everything that we've been taught so far about snowplows. I think a better end to the story would have been something like, well, you, you know, I'm very glad I don't have to wear my snowplow anymore. And then the Fat Controller says, well, because you can't wear a snowplow, you've got to stay in the shed for a few days. And then, you know, Thomas is like, oh, whoops, what a turn of events. Or maybe a much more likely one would be, mm. here is a brand new snowplow for you. Because judging by his narration at the start, <laughs> yes. saying it's a big, horrid, awkward thing, mm. they're going to have a new, shiny, comfortable, you know, it's like linen and velvet, okay? <laughs> it, it, it's got, it, it, it's like, oh, it's being wrapped in a blanket snowplow, okay? That mm. is what they're going to give Thomas. Now, there are some interesting things about this episode. Mm -hmm. For one, it's written by James Mason, who I'm guessing is not related to the other James Mason. No, no. (laughs) Um, And and this was actually one of the only stories that James Mason wrote up until uh, the seventh series, Refreshment Ladies Tea Shop. I actually really like that episode. Yeah, so do I. And and I like this episode as well. I'm going to give big thumbs up to James Mason here. 
Okay. There's a scene, you know, where Thomas picks up the snowplow and Edward tells him the trees to have lights stay in the middle of the village, but you need to get it to Toby safely and it makes everyone happy. That wasn't originally supposed to be. Originally, Thomas was supposed to pick up the Christmas tree from Brendam Docks and Salty was going to explain it to him. Uh. And and there's a shot of a deleted scene where you see Brendam Docks covered in snow and Salty and Thomas are there with the Christmas tree. And it's... I really want that side of the story there. Because whilst I do like Edward being the mentor narrator figure... Oh, we, we could always use more Edward. I mean, Edward's great. We love Edward. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. However, there was a great opportunity there to have Salty have another role again. Because mm. so far, he hasn't been seen since the first two episodes of the show. Mm. And he won't be seen again until um, Gordon takes a tumble. Have I got that right? I believe that may be the case, yeah. Or at least have a role until then. So it's... Salty, I feel, was a missed opportunity there. They could have had him, they were planning to, but for some reason they didn't have him. And he's such a good character. And also, you get to see Brendam Docks covered in snow. Which we've never seen before, and I don't think we will ever see in a No, a- apart from these images, no. And until the CGI series, at least. Oh, yeah, of course. There is one more not I'd like to bring up. Mm-hmm. And that is Toby. He mentions a bit of dialogue here, and it always confused me as a child, and it it's one other reason why I like this episode, because this episode encouraged me to research. <laughs> it encouraged you to research. It, it gave me work. <laughs> because Toby says that he can't clear the snowdrifts himself, and that's why he's glad Thomas is there. Mm. Looking at Toby, you would be forgiven... To think that he's got a snowplow. Oh, he's got a cow catcher. Exactly. That's the major issue here. Because it looks like a snowplow, and you can definitely picture something hitting it and then being moved to the side like a snowplow should. Mm-hmm. However, there's a big issue with that being a snowplow. It's very subtle. I wonder if you can notice it, Harry. Well, it's got holes in it. Yes, yes, but... Thomas's original snowplow also had holes in it, well, grooves in it, I guess. And Toby's yeah. got grooves in his cow catcher. Well, so well, that, th- no, those aren't grooves. Those are actual holes. Those are they? Are they? Are they now? They are. They 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 go all the way through to the other side. So then, shouldn't shouldn't the snow pass through him then underneath? Or well, yeah, but consider if you come across a snowdrift, you don't really want the snowdrift then seeping underneath you. But but if, 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 if it's a, he's a steam engine though. I mean, he's got a boiler. Wouldn't the snow just melt away? Well, yeah, but why can't we just have Thomas without a snowplow then? Oh oh gee yeah the, the, okay. There's a lot of holes in my argument, right? Yeah, just and a lot, of, a lot holes of holes in, in Toby's snowplow you here. You beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> well done, man. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I've always enjoyed this episode. Uh, have you got any more comments? Um, well, the only other thing I can add really is that I like the informal conversations between the engines at the beginning of the story as they're discussing the winter and the fact they have to wear snowplows. I think those are the kinds of, you know, little touches that are missing from Series 6 as a whole. And, mm. of course, they're one of the best things about Series 5, as we've previously discussed. Yeah. 
I, I will say, it, actually, that scene with the engines at Knapford chatting about the snow coming, wearing snow plows and so on, I feel it's one of the first times that the engines, when having discussions, this would become a thing here on out, where they'd all line up at the platforms at Knapford and talk. And that happens in a lot of stories after this. I think mm. this is the first time it properly occurs. It's It's happened... In the show before, such as in Edward's exploit. And also in Duck Takes Charge, it happened there as well. True. However, during those scenes, there was always lots of working happening in the background. It just looks like, to be fair, it looks like that they're construction workers on their lunch break. (laughs) Which is to say that they should be working, but they're probably not. Mm. Political commentary. So, <laughs> not political commentary, but commentary nonetheless. What are your thoughts on the episode? What's your ranking? Well, overall, look, there are bits of it that I enjoy and there are bits of it I don't like as much. So, uh, of course, the winter scenery is beautiful, as it always is on this show. Uh, again, I love the conversations between the engines. The crash with the snowplow is impressive. But I think, like, the moral is really confusing and that Thomas hasn't really learned anything from his experience. So with that in mind, I think I'll give the story a five out of 10. Oh, okay then. You see, I was not expecting you to give that lower score. Like we we gave earlier this episode, Jack jumps in a six. So I wasn't expecting it to be five. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I really like this episode. I always thought it was a season one episode because it's got lots of maybe not intentional references, but references nonetheless, because you've got Thomas and Toby teaming up through the snow once more, which I love that pairing. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, of course, Sodor doesn't look as good as it used to be in snow, but it still looks good. It's beautiful. And it appears in series six, the snow is mm-hmm. very movable. There are a fair few comedic moments, such as as the snowplow just slams to the ground. The accident, having yes. it in one continuous shot, where the snowplow's ripped off, and then having mm-hmm. the water tower collapse, that is mm-hmm. brilliant. But I, I agree that the moral itself is confusing. You could try and argue and say that uh, it's it's... Thomas is learning that, you know, sometimes whilst the snowplow whilst the snowplow is awkward, you know, sometimes you do need to work hard. But mm. again, the story all falls to pieces with the final lines of dialogue at the end and the confusing moral. Mm. I was going to rank this episode a nine. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. However, because of the confusing moral, I'm going to make it a seven instead. Okay. Yeah. So th- this isn't like a bad story. It- it's it's no. by no means awful, but I just think with some better writing, it could have been like solid. Yeah. A rewrite or two and it would be brilliant. Hmm. Now, what, what, what about our tall co-host that isn't here? Ah, yes. So, Denham, the big tall man himself, he has given... Oh, okay. He's given a score of 5 out of 10 for It's Only Snow. 
Okay, okay. So, so he's agreeing with you that that's middle of the road. Yes. Well, a little bit below. We can only hypothesise as to why he's chosen that score, but I'm sure that if he were here, he would echo my sentiments. Well, w- what are your theories, audience? <laughs> what do you think, Denim? <laughs> but... I'm afraid that does bring us to the end of episode 45 of the Right on Track podcast. That it does. Now, don't forget, you can connect with us through all of our socials. Of course, we're on Instagram, which is triple T E underscore right on track. You have got our Twitter, which is at on track Thomas. There's our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash right on track Thomas podcast or one word. You have also got our email that you can reach out to us at, which is right on track Thomas <laughs> at gmail.com. I was quickly pulling it up to confirm, <laughs> just to make sure. Um, and we have also got a website that you can now uh, reach out to us at. We mentioned it before, mm-hmm. uh, which is right on track forward slash podcast uh, which has got uh, our previous reviews of the episodes listed you can find a link to all of our socials there links to video videos of the month podcast to learn a little bit more about parry denim and myself mm-hmm. as well as a few other projects that we are involved with mm-hmm. and we've also got a little link with all our friends of the podcast as well so plenty to check out there but speaking of things checking out what are we checking out next time parry Aha, nice segue as always, Connor. We are checking out the Series 6 stories, Twin Trouble, The World's Strongest Engine, and Scaredy Engines, which are three of, I think, in my humble opinion, the best stories of this series. I I agree, and all three of them have a typically side character, or characters, returning to the mainframe, and returning... Being the key word there. And we look forward, of course, to Denim and a special guest joining us next time as well. But until that time comes, I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry. And this has been the Right on Track podcast. Adios. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.